which is taken from the letter of Jude in the first four verses. Let's read this once again. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. Their godless end being changed the grace of our God into derisive or immorality who denied Jesus Christ our only sovereign. about the grace of God and the lofty and secure position that we have as children of God. Love congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. Recently I read the statement that the church is always one generation short of extinction. That's quite a shocking statement, don't you think? it's not so that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will ever cease to exist throughout earth. God will preserve his church and his elect people in it to the very end. As we confess about the church in Lord's Day 21, I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. The church is the bride of Christ that he gathers and defends and preserves his bride. No one can change that. Yet we know what the author is trying to say here in this quote. We have seen the evidence all around us. For example, Canada used to be a nation full of Christian people who regularly went to church, who regularly worshipped God. Now very few people do. The mainline churches that were once faithful in many respects in the past became apostate. As these churches no longer came in the authority of God's word, people stopped coming to these churches. One time they were still worshiping regularly for one generation, and then the next generation stopped doing so. The church had become just like the world. They no longer needed such a church, except perhaps as a social club. And this kind of thing has happened throughout the history. Those places where churches were planted in the past, they are no longer in existence. Think about the church in Acts and the New Testament. For example, the church at Thyatira, or the church at Pergamon, or Thessalonica. Where are they now? They're no longer in existence for many reasons for that. Sometimes this happened because of persecution, but more often this happened because of apostasy. And we know that this can also happen to us. For that reason, many of us worry about the church, especially about the very one church to which we belong. We worry about our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. What is going to happen to them? I know that is something that also occupies my mind. If 
is our church going to remain faithful and our offspring legitimate concern? And now the question is, how then apostasy in the church? How do we prevent the church from going astray? How do we prevent our children from being lost in the world? You see, that's also what troubles Jews. He too was quite concerned about the church of his time. It's for that reason that he wrote this letter. He says that at first he had been very eager to write to them a letter about salvation that they could get. Subsequently, however, he felt the need to write them a different letter. A letter not just about their salvation, but also about those who want to snatch away their salvation. sisters are concerned we sympathize with Jerusalem. It was much more pleasant to write about and to preach about the salvation that we share. Sermons like that are full of comfort and encouragement and we need those. But we also need to be warned. And yet we do not always appreciate that, do we? Especially not when we have to mention names of certain people of other religions want to lead you astray. And indeed, we have to be careful how we judge. We have to start with ourselves. Because apostasy does not come from without, but it comes from within. From within our own heart, and also from within our own church. We have to be vigilant. But at the same time, we need comfort. God is the one who gathers his church. As long as you're obedient to him, then you do not have to be afraid. And that's what I hope we feel about this morning. It's about the comfort that we may have as children of God, but also about the warning that God gives us in part of his word. He tells us to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the church. That is also the theme of this morning's service. And then we will see that we have to contend for the faith in the, realize of, in the realization of what in the first place God has done for us, that is how God has richly blessed us, and in the second place of what Satan wants to do with us, how Satan sneakily tempts us. The author introduces himself as Jude servant of Jesus Christ and a prophet of kings. These two men are mentioned in Matthew 13 verse 55 as the actual brothers of the Lord Jesus. They're also mentioned in Mark 6 verse 3 where the people in the hometown of the Lord Jesus ask, isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And so Jude, just like James, is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. They all have Mary as their mother. Jude mentions his brother James in this letter so that everybody would know who this Jude is in this letter. For James is quite well known to the believers throughout Jerusalem and beyond. That is because James had gained 
acquired a prominence as a leader in the church of Jerusalem. In John 7, verse 5, we learn that at first, the half-brothers of the Lord Jesus did not believe in him as their Savior. But then the Lord appeared to them after his resurrection had reached Jerusalem, and likely Jude at the same time as well were converted. Jude, however, in his introduction does not mention the fact that he is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. He does that, no doubt, because he does not want to gain an advantage because of that fact. He did not want the people to think that they had to listen to him just because he is the half-brother of Jesus. No, he wants to show that in reality he is just like everyone else. And that is why he also calls himself a servant of Christ. His brother James in his letter does the same thing for the same reason. Furthermore, he also speaks about the salvation that we share. He includes himself. He does not consider himself to be any different from the other recipients of his letter. They are all saved through the blood of Christ. He and his brother James included. Who are the recipients of this letter? Jesus truly saved, calls them friends. He only says that he writes to those who have been called and who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. It does appear, however, that he has a specific people in mind. For he has some specific warnings to them. Something is happening that he wants to warn them against. Perhaps it is the same people Peter writes about in his second letter. For when you study both letters, you will note that there are a lot of similarities. And Peter also addresses the same, some of the same issues. We do know, what we do know is that they need encouragement in order to oppose the false teachers who have crept into their midst. And it is important to note how he gives them that encouragement. Brothers and sisters, it is very instructive to see this inspired author at work. For he does not begin with the negative. He does not begin by shaking the ground on which they stand. He does not want to undermine the foundation from under their feet and whittle away at their confidence as children of God. He knows that they need solid ground to stand on as they fight the enemy. Oh, sure, he wants to spur them on to contend for the faith, to fight for it. But they have to realize that they already are in a very secure position and in a very safe place to begin with. And also that they have already been prepared for the spiritual warfare by the Lord God himself. They do not have to be afraid. Just be vigilant. He tells them that they have been called. He does not specify further to what they have been called. He assumes that they are already fully aware of that. Peter, in his parallel letter, is more specific. He says in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, that the believer is called by the glory and goodness of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when the Lord God calls us, he first of all sets us apart from the rest of the world. 
does not call us out of the world, but he calls us into the world to be part of his world and to let his glory and goodness shine through us. It leads us to a maker. That is why in verse 3 he also calls them saints. A saint is someone who has been set aside for the glory of God. And that's all God's doing. He sets us apart. And he does that already as little children. That is why our children receive the sign and the seal of the covenant at the time of their baptism. It is to assure them of the position that they have been given as God's children. And as God's children, they need that assurance. We need to belong, we need to know that we belong. We need to know that we have a God who will protect us no matter what may happen to us. Can you imagine if that were not the case? Can you imagine if that was not the case, if our children did not have that kind of knowledge? If our children grew up having to fend mostly for themselves without having any sense of belonging to the family, without being sure of whether or not they're being loved, Can you imagine how insecure they would feel without such knowledge? Who would protect them? Whom could they trust? Whom could they turn to in times of trouble? Well, the same thing is true for us as children of God. There is a lot of evil within us and all around us. And we need to be protected. And we need to know that there is someone who defends us. Someone to whom we are very dear and precious. And Jude assures them of that as children of God. And he assures them of that in a wonderful way. First of all, he speaks about their common salvation. They all share the same salvation. The Lord does not make any distinction. If you believe that Christ died for you, then you have your salvation in common with the rest of the believers. It does not matter either whether you are a leader in the church or whether you are rich or poor or black or white. We are all the same before the Lord. It doesn't even matter how great a sinner you are. If you have repented and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you're also kept by the Lord Jesus. Other translations state that they have been preserved by him. That is to say they have been carefully watched and guarded. I always find it amusing to see mothers watching and guarding their little ones. Their eyes constantly are upon their child to make sure it doesn't come to a harm. That's what a good parent does for his children. And not only that, they are the recipients of God's choicest blessings. Mercy, peace, and love. He says, may you have that in abundance. God wants us to have these things, plenty of them. In the original, it actually says that mercy, peace, and love multiply to them. Older translations still have that. 
these people are. He calls them ungodly persons. Now, when we think of ungodly persons, we think of the people of the world. Or perhaps of people who belong to the false church. And that was the first thing that crosses our minds. And then, as you read the text, then you will note that that is certainly not the case. No, Jude is speaking here about people who, as he said, have secretly slipped in among the part of the church. They've secretly slipped in. How in the world is that possible? How did they do that? How can that happen to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, brothers and sisters, that can happen all too often. But look at the kind of people that they are. They know how to talk the talk. They're not openly hostile to the word of God. On the contrary, they claim to be in tune with it. They sneak in because they twist the word of God to their own advantage. And they say things that people want to hear. They're the kind of people who, Jude says, pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. A more modern translation says that such people say that God's marvelous grace allows God's people to live immoral lives. Now, that's the heart of the matter. It's not actually that, it's not so that those people will actually say that, of course not. Because you see, it's not there. Ultimately, that's what it comes down to. These kinds of people are lazy. But they are people who do not want to fight against their own sinful flesh. They want God's grace. But they do not want to pay any price for it. They say that Christ has done it all. They don't have to do anything. After all, God is a God of love and peace. He is patient and kind and meek. And therefore, when we sin, it doesn't really matter that much. We should all be more accepting. Such people hate discipline, especially discipline for themselves. They will come with all kinds of excuses for their own behavior and minimize it. They don't want to take things serious. And if anybody does confront their sin, or the sin of others, they will give you a hard time and tell you that you are are unloving and unkind and unchristian. And of course, there should be love in the church and understanding and patience and kindness. We should not deal with one another harshly and in a condemning way, but we have to strike the church balance, brothers and sisters. You have to do that in your family, and you have to do that in the church. For there are two dangers in the church. On the one hand, there is a danger of a condemning attitude without love. And on the other hand, there is a danger of a permissive attitude. Both of those attitudes are deadly. And both lead to apostasy. The same thing is true of bringing up your children. Strict upbringing without love produces undisciplined children. Once they no longer are under the control of their parents, those children often turn their backs on their parents and do whatever they like. They think, why should I care? The rules of my parents only bring me pain and sorrow because they only 
themselves, they do it in an inconsistent way. And permissive upbringing will result in the same thing. My parents taught me to care and I do something wrong, or should in any sorry say something about it. But really, who knows? And why should I? same thing is true in the church. Those churches that became apostate were those churches that became permissive in their attitude. And the first thing that went out of the window was discipline. There are very few churches nowadays that still exercise discipline. They're afraid of it. They don't want the pain of it. And that members are tolerated to live ungodly lifestyles. And no doubt that is also what was happening in the church that Jude is writing to. Such people with such thinking and attitudes slipped in unawares. They came with pious thoughts about tolerance and were allowed to remain part of the church. And that is why Jude is now blowing his trumpet to wake them up. He says, wake up! See what
you know what Paul says in Acts to that? He says in Romans 6, verse 1 and 2, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And so you see that by arguing in such a way, denied their only song for Jesus Christ. They used the word of God in order to have an excuse for their own lifestyle. As I said before, he states that he was very eager to write to them. He couldn't wait. We see a sense of urgency. He sees the whole church of God being led astray by their pious talk. Verse 3 says that the faith, that is the doctrine of salvation, was entrusted to them once for all. They may not change it to suit their own needs. But the church of God does not guard what has been entrusted to them. The Lord may take that word away from them and give it to a different people. This can happen in the name of our church. If we are not constantly on guard against false teachers with their false doctrines and lifestyle snacks, then eventually the church will no longer show the signs of a true church. If our generation fails to guard the truth and fails to pass on the whole doctrine of salvation to our children, then that will be the end. Of course, the church of God will continue to exist. But our generation will no longer be part of it. We must contend for the faith. The Greek word does that term that gives us our word agonize. It brings to mind the devoted athlete who absolutely carefully prepares himself to win every race he enters. He devotes his whole life to the building up of his muscles and his stamina in order to be the best there is. Both an athlete and a soldier must do their level best to defeat the enemy. And so there must be teamwork. Believers must band together to prepare themselves and to encourage each other in the fight against the evil one. There are some people who say that it's all right to contend for the faith, but in the process, don't be so contentious. And it is true that we must try to avoid quarrels and divisions, especially about stupid little things. You have to put on love. You should not go around go around looking for trouble. But when the banner of Christ is being taken by the enemy, we cannot hardly decide that it is time to put the armor of Christ on and to defend the faith without being afraid of offending others, without being afraid of being uncomfortable. Let us never look for the favor of men, but the favor of God. Brothers and sisters, praise and grace. The Lord God has richly blessed you and me. He has given us enormous riches, and he blesses us through generations. Look at how blessed we are in the Emmanuel Mary Reformed Church. We are blessed in a generation. Every generation is represented here, old, middle-aged, young people, children. What a blessing. But we may not take those spiritual gifts for granted. We have to be continue on guard. And in so doing, we have to sharpen ourselves. We have to be a good example to our children and our grandchildren and to the other members of the church. A constant seeking for Jesus with us. 